Thank you for tuning in to Out of Pocket Live. I'm your host, you already know. Brought to you by Hemp's Barbershop and All Out Foul. Visit www.allafoul.com and cop our latest release of the Hawaiian Monk Seal Pack. Now, all of the profits will go towards the Hawaiian Monk Seal conservation efforts. They are an endangered species, so support the cause. Our shirts are 100% cotton, fair trade, and eco-friendly. I guarantee you this will be the most comfortable and longest-lasting shirt you'll ever own. Wash this shit 100 times and it'll never turn into cardboard like all the other bum-ass shirts out there. Smoke, smoke, smoke. Now our guests today for episode number 13 are my value customers. Triple OGs, a lot of wisdom in this room. Great storytellers with a lot of life left in the tank. I thought I had issues. <laughs> These two are the original days accused. The energy they share every time they step in my chair is a constant reminder of how you're as young as you feel and how much we've got we've yet to learn. We must look to our teachers for guidance while they're still here. They're not hard to find. They move a little slower. Their skin has a texture of dried apricots. Their hair, their gray hair is a dead giveaway. <laughs> they give me a boost of inspiration every time they bless me with their presence. Age ain't nothing but a number for every young bitch. Now, for, without further ado, I'd like to welcome to our show Bill Selby and Lauren Jones. Hey, thanks, thanks, Drew. Thank you. I love you with my apricot skin. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a real compliment. <laughs> You know yeah. what? Yeah, the, shit, the wrinkles come with it, with the wisdom. How but about um, all the hair growing out of places you don't want it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you guys were telling me that. Yeah. For some reason, why does it do that? The, uh, yeah, your eyebrows. I got to trim both of your guys' eyebrows. Yeah, oh, yeah. And the ears. Thanks, I'm it like, fell off the top I can't of wait my for head. That. It's like on, the, on my back now. It's like slid yeah. down farther. So can we get straight to the... Yeah. To the interesting part. Yeah. Okay. You guys got a lot of great stories, man, which... Uh, <laughs> Let's start with let's start with you, Bill. When uh when you were in the cemetery. Which cemetery? You mean the when like twenty it's coming up now on <coughs> uh let's see, this Sunday it'll be twenty four years uh-huh. since I was wandering around Hollywood Forever Cemetery with a loaded thirty eight caliber revolver. Yeah. <laughs> wanting, well, I was to, <laughs> w- wanting to eat a bullet and blow my brains out. I couldn't I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't stop drinking. Yeah. And, oh wow. Uh, I tried a thousand times to stop and quit. Couldn't do it. Um, I'd gone to uh, this cemetery three days in a row. Uh, this is—it's a fantastic cemetery. It's right across the street from Paramount Studios. A lot of the famous dead are buried there. Everybody from Peter Lorre to uh, Mel Blanc, the voice of Bugs Bunny. Yeah. And I felt—I'd uh, <coughs> picked out the spot, the exact spot in this mausoleum where I was going to like do it. Yeah. And uh, it was beautiful with the pink pebble glass ceiling and the sun <laughs> shining through. And, and, uh, and, and the, day that I, the day that I was there that I chose to, to end it, uh, I um, went outside the, the mausoleum briefly. And I noticed that, I mean, this place is vast. There are yeah. thousands of, of, of tombstones there. And uh, I realized that I was the only person there in that entire cemetery. And the, there's a lot of famous dead people buried there. Yeah. And as famous as they once were, I was the only person there. Yeah. You know, that, and what hit me was uh, how comfortable I felt. I felt like I had come home. I was so comfortable. And I, th- 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 like a switch flipped in my brain at that point, and I thought, if I'm more comfortable around the dead than I am around the living, there's something really wrong with me. I need some help. Yeah. And I called a buddy of mine. He came over to the cemetery. <clears throat> Luckily, he was he was over in Hollywood just a few blocks away. And he took me to St. John's Hospital. 
and I had great insurance, yeah. luckily at the time. And uh, I checked in for a 28-day stay in rehab, and it, ch- it changed my life. I, for whatever reason, uh, I was ready to quit. Yeah, so how did you end up there? Because you moved to Hollywood, right? Cause I, had, I had moved. I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, was always loved monsters, grew up loving monsters. Uh, I think my and I always wanted to be an artist. I I wound up uh, uh, getting scholarships when I was a little kid to the Columbus College of Art and Design. Yeah. And uh, my uh, first professional job, my first first professional sale was a, a cover of Famous Monsters of Filmland in 1978. Yeah. It was a painting of Robbie the Robot. Oh yeah. wow! I remember that. Cover. And <laughs> and uh, I do. I got the mag. I I had a subscription to that I, for years. Oh my god! <laughs> so I uh, so I grew I grew up loving monsters and yeah. uh, and I had a I had a wonderful you know career in art. But I always had this desire to uh, to make movies. Yeah. And, and you can't do that if you're living in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. So I realized that I had to move to Los Angeles. I moved there and uh, went to the American Film Institute, took a couple of screenwriting courses, and wound up uh, writing for film and television and drinking. Yeah. You know? And I couldn't, once I have an on switch and no off switch. Yeah. And I basically just, I, I drank myself out of a career. Uh, and, but luckily, uh, still here. I, I'm still here. And I wrote an episode of The Twilight Zone. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that was actually produced called really? the, Hel- the Helgramite Method, of, and it starred Timothy Bottoms Ugh. as an alcoholic who can't stop drinking, and he finds the cure straight out of the Twilight Zone. It's it's up on uh, YouTube, yeah. actually, and that's the newer, it, it, the it, yeah, newer it was series. Yeah, the new yeah. series in mm-hmm. color from 1988. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't want to interrupt, but I probably yeah, saw it. like, so you you asked me a question, I, yeah, and I, I, can, love, I, can yeah. I love that's what I'm sorry, I love these both no, I love these stories. <laughs> I want to. Uh, one thing leads to the next, and it yeah. goes on and on. Yeah, let uh, Laura the, talk. The one, yeah, the one that stuck out to me was uh, when you were with your girlfriend. You got pulled over. Which one? <laughs> when well, you uh, <laughs> you had you had you had some acid with you or something? Oh, was that the one? You remember that <laughs> well, one? That's Should kind of that's that's kind of what happened. Yeah, uh, I'll try to keep it as short as possible. Yeah. Um, it was 1968, and um, my girlfriend at the time. And I went down to Southern Cal to Big Sur uh, to go camping at this place that we'd kind of grown up going to, but it was at the time closed. Um, I think it had been sold or something, so it was currently no trespassing, even though people were still going down there. Yeah. So we went, we we went down there and parked the car out on the highway and went in and had our camp all set up and we dropped acid and wandered off in different directions doing stuff. And all of a sudden I heard her screaming for me and I thought, God, it sounded terrible. I thought, you know, this is like peaking on acid. (laughs) And I'm going, somebody's killing her or something. So I ran back down the mountain in about 30 seconds to where she was and these two cops were there. They'd hiked like two miles back up this canyon to bust hippies for fun on the weekend. And um, we were both loaded on acid, and we had all this pot, and we had all this hash and pipes, and it was all just left in our camp. (laughs) (laughs) And so, basically, they drove us back to Monterey in in a police car, and I had to take uh, nine hits of acid. 
Oh my God. And then they threw me in a cell full of murderers in Salinas. And you're still alive. <laughs> and I spent, I spent three days there before I got out on bail. And, and, and these guys were like, I, I, should, I could write a book, at least a chapter on just these guys in the jail. They were like really nice guys and they were all murderers. Dude, and they nine, treated me like a king. <laughs> nine hits of acid. That's like a, you probably scared the hell out of them being on. Well, when they on acid. when they led me in, it was midnight, and they they actually led me in with a flashlight down this dark <laughs> corridor, and these guys lit a candle when I showed up, and and they held it up to my face, and they were just rolling on the ground laughing at how loaded I was. And you know, See, it was for, okay. yeah, for some reason, yeah, I just I, I had don't know, to, I respect I, that. I had to cope. I had yeah. to, I had to cope and deal with it. And the scariest thing wasn't really those guys; it was the the possibility of spending time in in prison. Yeah, because it was really tough in those days. And um, and my girlfriend was was seventeen and I was eighteen, so they oh. they were trying to throw a book at me for all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But anyway, that's a whole nother yeah. whole nother lifetime. So before we started, you guys were talking about how. Uh, you you like to express your creativity yeah you know, it, it that's what you know that's what gives you your life absolutely and like to me that's an inspiration because there's a lot of people out there not doing what they want to do and you know as <sighs> like as old you as you guys are not saying that it matters because yeah you showed me that it doesn't matter how old you are that's that's where i get my inspiration from cool like you Bill, you're I'm you're finishing up your book. I'm 68. Yeah. Born in 1950. Both of you guys are born 1950. Yeah, I had my birthday was last week actually. Yeah. My natal my belly button birthday. Oh, you're yeah. you're younger than me. I I'll be 69 in September. Oh hell. I'm oh, way older than you. Oh wait a minute, I I, I turned 69. Yeah, my it's God. It's hard I'm to still keep th track. I, I forget. Oh, so you're older See, than me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, that's the problem of being an OG. Yeah. You, know, you forget how old you are. Yeah. <laughs> it starts right. around 60, where you start kind of going, "Am I 60 or 61 or fifth, still 59 or, or am I still 24?" Because I was doing that with yeah, right now. I'm like, am I 34? I'm going to be 35. Oh yeah, I, I yeah, guess so it probably starts when you're in your 30s or so. It's funny. Or... Yeah. So it's funny because I was the same day I was going to ask you guys, you know, to come on the show. You picked out the book out of all the books that were available. <laughs> this book right here that Bill Selby wrote, and uh, I could tell by the look on his face, yeah, there's a lot of nostalgia looking into the book. And I was like, dude, this is crazy. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Well, so, when we grew up, those those images were all over the place. I yeah. mean, people had them stuck on their, you know, packs and their and their carry bags and and their motorcycle and their yeah. their hot rods. And so you and, told me your dad was like the first person to. Uh, ride his motorcycle across the yeah the well my dad was a motorcycle pioneer he was a um, national champion for about two decades he came to San Francisco I was thinking about this this morning before this you know kind of getting ready for this interview and I was thinking a hundred years ago my dad was already 15 years old <laughs> I mean that it's amazing how it's because I was born really late in his yeah. life. But he came to San Francisco in his uh, late teens, and he became a motorcycle champion, uh, racer, especially hill climbs and and cross country events and all kinds of weird things where endurance yeah. were were the keys. And and he held the the championship for I think. 10 or 15 years on all kinds of races and stuff. And on opening day in 1936, um, it was uh, a pedestrians only. 
And my, this was a typical kind of thing that my dad would do because he was kind of a rebellious kind of Captain Kirk sort of guy who always made his own rules. And he walked his bike across yeah. on pedestrian day so he could be the first guy across the bridge on a motorcycle. Yeah. Even so, though the yeah. next day was driving day, but he got away with it. Yeah, he told you told me that when you were looking at the bike. Yeah, that, yeah. You know that Bill. Yeah, Bill had a picture of it, and I was like, dude, this is, yeah, this yeah. is crazy how everything came together. Yeah. So um, anyway, in 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 the eighties when they had the fifty year reunion, he also led the parade in, wow. in that thing too on a motorcycle and sidecar. He was in his eighties and he was still driving, wow. still riding around with girls yeah. and stuff. <laughs> well, hot rides and motorcycles were really super popular in the fifties. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. But what really happened in the fifties, media wise, was the monster craze. Oh, because the monster craze. Uh, the monster craze happened when uh, shock theater was. Uh, they they had all these horror hosts. Uh, Universal Pictures put together this uh, uh, media package with all the original uh, monster movies like Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, the Mummy. You know, the creature from the black. All that stuff. Yeah. And they were sold as packages the to classics. different stations mm. all around the country. And when they those, these local stations started to show these monster movies back in the late 50s, monsters just exploded on the scene. Yeah. It gave birth to the monster craze, uh, wow. uh, monster magazines, and uh, monster decals, you know, devoted. Like, I grew up uh, putting water slide decals on my bicycle, on my yeah. Schwinn. And, yeah. uh, you know, and just loving monsters, drawing monsters. Me too. Uh, drawing <laughs> rotted corpses mm -hmm. rising up yeah. out of graves. Yeah. Brains spilling yeah. out. You know, the grosser, the better. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it's, it's like, you know, girls would draw horses, <laughs> you know, and unicorns <laughs> and rainbows. And guys would be drawing, like, you know, the most horrible, gory things you could possibly yeah. imagine. Yeah. And this was, this was, you know, the time that I grew up in. Yeah. So naturally, uh, I always had a love of monsters. And the book, that book came about uh, when I discovered uh, Stanley Mouse, uh, you know, uh, who's, who, like, lives up in Northern California. Uh, I, I was talking with him, and we got to wondering about what, what you know, the, the origin of Rat Fink. And I began yeah. uh, exploring the origin of Rat Fink and found out that, it, it, of course, it had always been attributed to Ed Big Daddy Roth. Yeah. And, uh, and which would have been great. But then, unfortunately, I found out that Roth didn't really create Rat Fink. It was mm. a, this guy named Don Monteverde. And I began to do due, due diligence, uh, <laughs> track down Monty's family. Monty had, was dead. But I talked and actually spent the night with his fam with some of his family in Arizona and Texas. Yeah, and uh, that book w was a result of that. It came out in 2010. And uh, yeah, as you, and I got a lot of hate mail from yeah. people that love Ed Big Daddy Roth. I love Roth too. Don't get on me. You know, did he take credit for for some of that well, stuff? He, well, Roth like uh, approached Monty. Uh, with the idea of the concept of a rat fink, but Monty was the guy that drew it. Yeah, and he, and Monty created Roth's first decals, Roth's, all of his water water slide decal line, wow. and uh, and and then when as Rat Fink took off and made Roth like a lot of money, mm -hmm. uh, Monty was watching him, you know, get rich, and Monty yeah. wasn't making anything. And it, Typical, and it drove him to drink, and he drank himself to death. Oh, yeah. that's so, a shame. Yeah, so uh, let's yeah. talk about what you guys are doing right now. Uh, Bill is working. You're you're finishing up your sci-fi book. And and Lauren is Lauren writes music, mm -hmm. yeah. Like that shit is pretty special. When we were talking about you know the violin, it was like I was asking you questions about like oh is this the hardest? I was looking it up. Is this the hardest instrument to play? 
Like you guys, I would think you guys are re- retired, but you guys are still working. And I'll it's, never it's retire. Spe- yeah. <laughs> no. It is. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's like I'll die. I'll. I. I mean, retire. It's like kind of like okay, I'll die now. Yeah. See, that's. <laughs> see, that's that's what that's what makes this special because you guys are still working. I don't understand the concept of retirement. I hear people, <laughs> I mean, uh, you, the guys my age, younger than me, and they're saying, oh, like, I can hardly wait till I retire. I yeah. have family members that have retired. It's like, yeah. what the hell are they? You, yeah. you know, every every day I get up and I get to create. You know, my you know dad told me I retired when I was fifteen. <laughs> really? <laughs> he spent his whole life telling me I was a bum, <laughs> no matter how much work but, I did. But, but you're no. obviously not. No. Yeah. And and I mean, I, well, we both love what we do. And if you love what you do, why would you want to stop doing that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I and especially in the arts, people in the arts, unless they get some really horrible health problems, pretty much go until the very end. You know. Yeah. I was just finishing. The, uh, Bernard Herman died in his sleep. You know. Oh, did he? Yeah. Bernard Herrmann's a, he's a movie soundtrack composer. He, he did, did the uh, score to Psycho. He did Psycho. Oh, the string, yeah. The yeah, string yeah, yeah. thing. Oh, wow. And yeah. everybody's been copying him ever since. He did, all, he did like, Citizen Kane was the very first movie he ever did. I haven't seen that. They said that yeah. was, like, one of the best movies ever. Yeah, it's a like, good one. Yeah. You'll love it. <laughs> um, but he, he did he did hundreds of films, almost all the Hitchcock movies, and, and we both have were talking before the yeah. show that we share a love of, of his music. Uh, the, guy, the guy was amazing, and he, he did everything completely his own way yeah. didn't put up with anything the directors said they would tell him what they wanted he would do it his own way and they'd go you're right yeah like 95 percent of the time yeah. he really made hitchcock movies really what they what and, they and again like lauren and i had the benefit of when we were growing up as kids they began releasing movie soundtracks on vinyl oh yeah so we could actually we were like the first generation that could like uh, you know have a, a record recorded of a movie soundtrack like yeah. from seventh voyage of sinbad yeah. Or I can remember like like when the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly came out, and you know it was like I can remember driving my Volkswagen around Columbus, Ohio with ah you know Wait, on an eight track tape. Yeah, my first record with a cigarro thinking first, I was and a beer thinking that I'm Clint Eastwood. You my know? first record was a film soundtrack, really? even in spite of all the the you know the cool soul music and uh, the psychedelic rock and everything that was going on. Did you have themes for for from horror movies by Dick Jacobs? Yeah, oh, yeah. How about Shock? Did you ever have that? Yeah, yeah, oh, exactly. That was a great one. Yeah. It's so funny because we yeah. basically grew up with all the same yeah. stuff. And and when he <laughs> talks about the monster craze, you have to realize it was really huge. Monster I mean, craze. it was it was worldwide, but especially in this country. Yeah. Um, it, it was due to the, the resurgence of the popularity of all those early universal films, Frankenstein, Dracula, all that. And they, they were classics, but they've been kind of forgotten in the late 40s and the early 50s. And then when they started showing them on TV... Everybody in a whole country just thought that was the coolest thing because they were these were all new generation of people who had never seen those movies. Yeah, and um, yeah, monsters just became so popular. So, were you guys both? Were you guys the kids that were chilling outside of Tower Records back in the day? Because I saw the documentary. Like, uh, that was a place no, to be. That was, that was, was too later. Busy. That oh, was too later. Busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But well, I, we used to go there. I was there. a hippie then. Yeah. You know, I, I used to go there when they, yeah, when they when they opened, I, I, I was there buying records and stuff. But yeah. Okay, so that was a great documentary, by the way. Yeah. So tell me about the time with uh Jimi Hendrix when you were smoking with Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> and you're gonna tell me about the time with Stan Lee, R. P. Stan Lee. Oh my so god. You go, yeah. So Lawrence. Well tell it me, was yeah. uh nineteen sixty seven and um <clears throat> I was walking down Haight Street, and I heard this amazing music. And um, I walked over to the Panhandle, 
and Jimi Hendrix was there on a flatbed truck that had been loaned to him by the Jefferson Airplane. And he had his whole band with him, and he did his whole routine. This was before the, the lighter fluid with the guitar thing, but he did destroy the guitar at the end. You saw but, that? Oh, yeah. I was, I was as close to him as I am to you, Jesus. except he was up on the truck. you know. But um, there were about 50 people there, and nobody even knew wow. who he was. Uh, Purple Haze had just come out on the radio like two or three days before. He, he had just gotten to the States like, and how old were you guys? The night before. I was 17. Jesus. 17 in, in 67. And um, it was the most amazing performance I've ever seen. And I've seen Hendrix and the Beatles. And I mean, I've seen Sinatra, the Beatles, and uh, the you know, like Stones. Every, I've seen everybody. Yeah. Led Zeppelin, all the shows at the Fillmore. I went every weekend. But the thing with Hendrix was just a total mind blower and and he he finished the set by shoving his guitar into this amp and and the feedback that came out of this thing was like a whole separate musical masterpiece yeah. and he jumped the rest of his band left and he jumped in, off the stage into this fancy white sports car with this beautiful blonde driving and they skidded <laughs> down the panhandle towards golden gate park and when they were completely out of sight finally a, a guy got up on stage and turned the amp off and there was nobody left anymore, but the audience just burst into this huge cheer. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, what a moment, you know? If there was a time that I could, if I had a choice to live in, it would be definitely in the 60s. It was cool, yeah. Unprotected yeah. sex, drugs, you know? Yeah. You know, I don't know if you would have lived through it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't perfect, you know? There was still plenty of, you know, I mean, I the, know. Co the cops were really bad. The, the Vietnam War was happening, so there were a lot of dark parts. And yeah. and and even in the Haight Ashbury, it it changed really quickly. Like between '67 and '69, it just became f like this from like this really magical kind of fantasy life to things. You know, hard drugs came in. Yeah, a lot of people came. A huge influx from other parts of the country and and it just changed really yeah. rapidly i feel like you guys were on the right track you know not just the drug like uh we're advanced with you know the the i guess correct me if i'm wrong the hippie movement or like did color matter back in the day you know being in the bay area or san francisco i know the black panthers are here like did you oh, yeah. guys have the you know have the tent like what did you guys go through i was a little too young to get into the um the the movement um, the civil rights movement. What were your mindset? How did you look? You know, yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I, I, I had. I mean, my one of my first girlfriends was black. So yeah. I mean, I I was colorblind from from basically when I was a little kid. I mean, my dad, my dad taught me to just respect all people. So there was no prejudice in my family. Yeah. Um, and and as I got older, I thought, wow, I wish I had. If I'd been a little bit older at the time, I would have gotten in on the civil rights movement and maybe walked, yeah. and and been you know heard heard um, yeah because the speech and all that stuff. Yeah. But but I didn't. Um, so that was a little you know a little too young for that. Um, I, it was kind of like we were born. He and I were born kind of right. The beatnik era was kind of happening as in the fifties as we were growing up. What was the beatnik era? Well, the beatnik era was. Um, Allen Ginsberg and all these poets and and North Beach was uh, was primarily just Italians and uh. and this new generation of of kind of radical left wing 
poets and artists who settled into North Beach and, and really gave the neighborhood this amazing flavor that it had for about 20 years. And comedies. Co- comedians, oh, yeah. too, like Lenny Bruce oh, yeah, was, Lenny, was popping up. Yeah, Lenny, Lenny were Bruce. You guys, and were you guys yeah. both into comics? Because I know you were into comics. You told me about Stan Lee uh, when you met Stan Lee. You mean into comic books? Comic books. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Well, tell me about your, yeah, your, your, uh, with Stan Lee. Oh, God. Well, I put myself through, through college. We're like all over the map here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're okay. kicking it. Yeah. Because he keeps asking okay. us all these questions. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, and again, Lauren had the benefit of being, you know, born and raised in San Francisco. I'm trapped in Columbus, Ohio, <laughs> you know, what, the first 36 years of my life yeah. until I finally escaped. But, uh, yeah, I I, uh, I was a long-haired hippie freak uh, from the late 60s, early 70s. I think I sent you a picture of myself yeah. when I had hair halfway down to my ass. Yeah, both of you guys. I was married to, a, to a, uh, a beautician who used to razor cut my hair. I had gorgeous hair, believe yeah. it or not. <laughs> Me too. I believe, I believe it, yeah. 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 Down to my waist. And uh, I, p- I made money. I made a living and put myself through school uh, briefly by... Uh, buying and selling comic books. This was like a big deal back then. I'd like uh, I had a buddy, and we we'd put ads in local papers and and uh, scrounge around collect- and I'm selling my collection. And we'd Uh-oh. buy we'd buy comics <laughs> and and sell them. And and there were these comic book conventions started up. And I yeah. I can remember going to the first conventions in New York and Chicago and Dallas and Detroit. There was a, there was one called the Detroit Triple Fanfare. And uh, Gene Roddenberry showed up, the creator oh. of Star Trek, and, and Stan Lee showed up. And I wanted to draw comic books for a living in the worst possible way. And I had put together a portfolio, which I still have, actually. And I finally, you know, and, and there were maybe only a hand, like a few hundred people would show up for the, this is like in the early 70s, 72, 73, something like that. And maybe five, 600 people would show up for the convention in Detroit. So it was easy to have access to Gene Roddenberry or Stan Lee or uh, Neil Adams or Jim Steranko, the artist, you know, uh, whoever was popular at the time. They'd, they'd be there as, as guests of the convention. Because you had a shot, right, with Stan, like and Stan I had Lee a, said? I had a table set up and uh, with, with uh, my buddy John Hagenberger, and we'd buy and sell comics, and, and it would pay for our weekend there, and we'd leave, you know, with cash in our pockets. Wow. But I mainly went there to try to get a job at Marvel Comics, because I wanted to draw comic books, and I uh, uh, showed my, like, I, I accosted Stan Lee in the hall, and he couldn't have been nicer. I had my portfo- little medi- you know, pitiful portfolio with me, mm-hmm. and I asked him if he could take a look at it, and he looked at his watch, he said, I'm sorry, I don't have time. And, uh, but then he, like, said, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, where, where's your room? We'll, we'll go look at it. And uh, wow. I took him to my room, which was like literally like right down the hall. And he came into the room, and he looked at my portfolio, and he spent like maybe five, five minutes with me. He looked at everything very carefully, and he said, he said, he said it's really good. He said, uh, you, you need a little bit more work. He said, I would recommend moving to New York. Uh, come, and, come and see us in about four to six months, we'll have a place for you. Wow. And uh, Why did it and, and I made a I made a, a life decision at that point. My my stepfather, who I adored, got cancer. And I decided not to make the move. 
to uh, to New York City. I yeah. stayed in Columbus again. I was like, you know, trapped wow. in Columbus. I stayed there with my family. It was right. Yeah, you were right there. So so I and, like, and I didn't make the move. And it's one of those life choices. You have a shot to go draw comic books or you're going to stay there and freelance. So I stayed home in Columbus, did freelance advertising, graphic design, yeah. learned how to use the airbrush uh, from a guy named Ed Newton who worked with Ed Big Daddy Roth. Yeah. Wow. And so you're, uh, you're, you're selling your comic book collection? Yeah. Is it, what, what's it looking like? Oh, I, you know, I got, I mean, it's nothing fancy. I mean, I've got all of Swamp Thing. I got all the Frazetta stuff from the beginning, um, that whole series. Um, I, I got weird stuff, Akira, like uh, stuff from the 80s, stuff from the 70s, and a few things from the 60s. Tur- I got a bunch of Turok, Son of Stone, and, and Magnus Robux. That is weird. Turok. <laughs> That's pretty obscure, Turok, I, Son of I Stone. Loved, I loved, for some reason, I was a big fan of Turok. Okay. The, and this collection was something <laughs> I collected in the 70s and the 80s because all my all my comics when I was a kid all got lost. Oh. they thrown out, stolen, whatever. Oh, what a But heartbreak. when you were talking about going back uh, to New York, I started out as a filmmaker because um, I was really into photography as well as music. And, and I started making films um, at the beginning of high school, well before before high school, and um, when I uh, towards the end of high school, shortly before I dropped out, um, I was offered a job with Leacock Pennybaker uh, back in in New York. They did um, they did the the movie what uh, th- they did the documentary on on the on the Monterey Film Festival. And out and and out and Altamont. Not, they didn't do out. No, they. I think they may have done Altamont, but the main one they did was, um, you know, back east. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what's the big I, Woodstock? Yeah, Woodstock. Um, so anyway, how old you guys? I, Woodstock. I, I, I was. He's sixty-eight. Yeah, really. Yeah. You guys are the same age, right? <laughs> yeah. How old you guys when Woodstock yeah. was around? Like. Um, well, I didn't go to Woodstock. I, I didn't I, go either. I, I had the opportunity to, but I was out here in the West Coast. But but this was. Um, this was, I guess, it was around the same time, and I just didn't want to go back to New York. I, 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 I was, I was worried I wouldn't be able to get enough pot back. There. <laughs> That's yeah. the main reason why I didn't go back. <laughs> I was never that big of a pot guy. I mean, I would try. I tried over and over to smoke dope, and I could never get into. it. I tried everything I could get my hands on. Oh, psychedelics! I don't. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, and I never. I did, you know, mescaline and L- LSD and all that stuff. But I kept coming back to alcohol because, yeah, and I love to drink. I ha- and and it gave me the illusion of control. Of course, I wasn't in control yeah, yeah. because of what I would drink. <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I was fooling myself into thinking that I I had control. I, I, I kept coming back to it. Alcohol this finally got me too. I was never I was never a big drinker, but um, about ten years ago, I started drinking really heavily. Started, really, uh, just started, started, started polishing off sc- bottles of scotch. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, it was a stressful period, and and I don't know why, but you know, on top of everything else, I was already doing. I was drinking too. And um, basically, I mean, I finally just had to stop. I mean, I, I, I really like wine, but I can't control it anymore. Yeah. That's yeah. why I see you guys, like, I struggle with the same thing. And, you it know, cuts into the creativity, man. Yeah. 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 I it mean, helps, I can, too, sometimes. I mean, I can have a glass <laughs> for an I can, hour. You know, I, can have, I can have a beer or a glass of wine <laughs> once in a while. But if I, you know, it's just like pot. If I, if I start smoking... I'll go. I'll go right out. You know, it's wake and bake. Next, mm. First thing next day, and I'm back on the on the. You know, how'd you guys do in school? Terrible. <laughs> how'd you do in school? Well, you know, I did really good. Like my f- until my folks got divorced mm. uh, when I was like ten or eleven, 
And then I became like a mediocre student. I, I excelled in certain subjects that I loved, like English. I always got A's. Art, I always got A's. You're right, yeah. And like biology, like to give an example, if like biology, like math, I sucked, you know, D's. But like in biology, I would get like, I was like an average C student. But if we were studying something that I loved, like bats, Oh yeah, you know, like if you could, if I could do like my report on Chiroptera bats, yeah. then boom, I'd I'd go from like a D to an A because yeah. it was something I was if I was interested in it, yeah. I'd I'd excel in it. Yeah, but I could hardly wait to get out of school, you know. And I was going to Saturday morning art school in Columbus. Yeah, at that's the time how we all too. felt. Yeah, I was I was kind of I think I was like somewhat bipolar and, and ADD and all that stuff because I just couldn't get I could just couldn't do it. I mean, you know. <laughs> It was just so boring. I mean, right from the first grade, it was just like, God, how do I get out of this? <laughs> it was torture. And finally, when I was a, a junior in high school, after I'd been kicked out of Burlingame High School because I was raised down the peninsula, after I got kicked out of there, they sent me to a special school where it was all like every everybody there were a bunch of screw offs, you know. And um, I, everybody I knew graduated. I couldn't even do that at that school yeah. and and that started at nine and ended at three and everybody had a big smoke out first thing every morning and it's, it still didn't work for me yeah. yeah yeah and it just yeah it the way the way the system's set up is yeah you got to sit still yeah you, know, you gotta like dude you can't tell these kids to just still pay attention to shit that they're not interested in well that was part of the problem the, the teachers were some of the i had some good teachers and that was really inspirational and i and i love them for it but i had a lot of really boring teachers yeah and it really turned me off to a lot of things that took many years later to get interested in because of their influence you know just yeah. who was your I'm favorite sure they were who trying. was your favorite teacher when you were a kid in school like high school well my favorite teacher was was a woman named miss cover and um what did she teach she teached english and when i get kicked out of uh burlingame high school and sent to this bad kid school in, in san bruno which was really a great school um she she had a little room off her main room that was filled with books it's a little mini library mm -hmm. about twice the size of this room and lined with shelves on all sides and she said if you pick a book that you like that's something that's interested that in interests you and you write a good report on it you'll pass english for the whole year that's how easy this school was. And I, I picked The Hobbit. I'd never heard of it before. Oh, wow. I knew nothing about it. This is like this is like 1967, 68. When the book first came out. When, well, it, when people were, yeah, yeah, when people were f starting to get more interested in it again. Yeah. Once again, like Monsters, it, it kind of laid dormant for a decade or so. Mm -hmm. And then it got a big resurgence. And, um, and she's, I credit her to really getting me in, inspired to, to read because all the other teachers had me read all these things that were boring and I, I, I could read I was a pretty good reader but I, I had, hadn't found anything that interested me it was horrible to try to get through the books they required in fact I didn't yeah. I flunked out I mean I, my, I was like a DF average from about third grade on uh, yeah I'm thinking when Bill finishes his book I'm for sure going to read it and next your next function like I'm pretty like yeah we got to go yeah, I nothing's, nothing's planned right now, but I'll, I'll let you know. I'm working yeah. on a I'm working on a piece called um, the Saint Francis Suite, and it's based on that prayer. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know the the prayer or not. You know, San Francisco's named after Saint Francis, and and the prayer uh-uh. uh, the prayer starts with something like, uh, "Where there is hatred, let me sow love." So it's kind of like each line. There's there's six separate verses in each one it's like if there's if it, it starts with something negative and gets ended with a positive yeah. so each one of these movements that i'm writing starts out kind of you know like violent or scary yeah. and then it gets resolved in kind of a peaceful harmonic it's the greatest the saint francis prayer is the greatest prayer ever conceived by the human mind i think so yeah, yeah. i have it yeah. hanging up in my bathroom yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah my biggest influence in in uh and, and, and the, the person in, when I was going to high school as a kid that made a huge impact on me was my English teacher, Mrs. Curry. And I'll never forget the first day I walked into her English class. I think I was like in 10th grade. And she faced the class. I'd never met her before. None of us had ever seen her. She was new. And she was probably in her late 50s, an ugly woman. <laughs> and she turned and she faced the class after writing her name on the, on the board. She said... My name is Mrs. Curry, and and she leveled her finger at us, and she said, and I don't expect any of you to like me. And as soon as she said that, in my head, I'm so, like, contrary. I said, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to like you. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to like you. <laughs> and I not only liked her, I grew to love her. Mm-hmm. She was, like, the best English teacher. Uh, just the, She was so supportive of talent. And, and uh, really gave me just a tremendous amount of encouragement when I was a kid, you know, in my in my middle teens. And it made all the difference in the world That's because great. as I was, like, failing math, because my brain is just not wired for, you know, algebra and geometry, yeah. uh, I was excelling in English. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was getting that encouragement from from that from her from that quarter that I really needed at that point in time. Yeah. And of course, this was, and I was like, I had a virgin mind too because I wasn't, I'd never been high. I never started drinking or using anything until I was like 18. You know, sort of like, almost out of high school. Mm-hmm. This was Columbus, Ohio. This wasn't San Francisco. Yeah. And, and yeah. this, the drugs and the and the booze and all that stuff hadn't really, in my world, in, in little Westerville, Ohio, outside yeah. Columbus. It just wasn't. It just wasn't. So uh, was that was that time in the cemetery? Was that your rock bottom? Well, that yeah, that was that was whom. Yeah, was that your rock bottom right there? Yeah, that was pretty. I was forty-five. Well, that's the difference. I'm in high school and I'm and I'm eighteen with a virgin. You know, I never even been high, but by the time I was forty-five, you know, and living in having made the move to Los Angeles and having an on switch and no off switch and not being able to to stop drinking. Uh, yeah, I was 45, and and uh, and that, that's when I hit the rock bottom. Was there in the cemetery? I'm so romantic and melodramatic. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just can't stay in my room and eat a bullet. I got to go to a cemetery yeah. across yeah. from a movie that's studio. <laughs> you know, I can just and see it. <laughs> like, but it's really true. That's what's amazing yeah. about yeah. it. it. Could you be know? another Twilight Zone episode with some mm-hmm. kind of twisty ending. Yeah, yeah. God, you know, uh, pray for me. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's right. like, Jesus. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I love that. I didn't do it. Friend, good thing your friend was there. What was? Yeah, well, what I she call, called him. You had the I, sense I called to call him. him. I called him. I said, "Come and get me, man." I'm, I'm, you know. And I had no idea, you know, how I was going to get sober. What was going to happen? I, I, you know, I said, "Take me to St. John's Hospital over in Santa Monica because there was a big cross on, the, oh, yeah. on, on, on the hospital." And I, you know, I, I'm not religious, but 
uh, I knew that that's where they took Elizabeth Taylor uh-huh. every or in Shelley Winters, or if they needed a blood change, yeah. or they needed to get every off time the pills. They, every time they needed to they'd stop they'd rent something. out the seventh floor, yeah. and you know that's where they went. So uh-huh. I thought I've got insurance, I need help, and I just signed into a 28-day rehab, and it literally changed my life. Yeah. And uh, I was afraid that I was going to die so, because you know. I could feel my body shutting down. So when I he mentions stop. people like, excuse me, but when he mentions people like Liz Taylor and and and, and um, Peter Laurie, and do you know who these people no, are? No, I do. I do not. <laughs> so yeah, just give us a quick, you know, quick. Well, we we grew up. Once again, <laughs> it comes back to television, and I mean, I, I you you can. How old are you? Thirty-four. Okay, you're half. You're half our age. Yeah. yeah. So exactly half. Okay. Yeah. So, and you can. I mean, so you can certainly back me up on this and I'm sure you have your own opinion too but television really brought old movies to our generation when we were kids growing up I mean I, by the time I was a teenager I got a f- funky little black and white TV and had it in my room and, and took the speaker out and put it by my bed so I could watch movies late at night without my parents hearing it yeah. and and I just they had these mo- these TV stations that would go like half the night eventually all night long but that was you know back then it was a big deal just for a movie to go till 2 we in the morning we had three channels you know yeah. NBC three, CBS three, ABC three plus channels. PBS maybe four four at the most yeah. and and you had you didn't have cable so you know? so we got really into these movie stars that our parents grew up with or 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 stars that were just becoming popular as our parents were getting older yeah. so Liz Taylor of course you know you know who she is. I mean, you've probably heard of her. She's like she's in, a, she's in a lot of uh, she was in a whole lot of movies. She was a great actress, and during her during her peak, she was considered the most beautiful woman in the world. That was probably for about yeah. 10, 10 or twenty years. Google her, yeah, yeah. Elizabeth, yeah, Taylor. definitely yeah. will. And good, good actress, um, especially in certain movies. She's really magnificent. I think she won at least one Academy Award. Yeah, she got too. the Oscar with uh, Richard Burton for, for Who's Afraid of Virginia yeah, Woolf. Yeah. Anyway, um, we're, we're the so, movie generation. So that's I yeah, love. So we went I to love the movies. movies. So and Peter Laurie, when he mentions him, he's he's from the old monster movies. He was like, uh, and he. Was was also in a lot of movies with um, with Bogart because he was they were really good friends like the Maltese Falcon so yeah so a lot of these I names these. a lot of these names that we both keep dropping are basically famous stars and people that we grew up watching who were not necessarily they were they were pre pre our generation they were more like our parents generation or kind of in between mm-hmm. you know and um, and it's just they really shaped my life, you know, watching all those movies really shaped my life. I mean, I just, I, 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 I'm a total story yeah. addict from, from watching all those stories. Like, like speaking of, like, up. my favorite women in, you know, in that industry, uh, Roseanne. Oh, yeah. Like, she was like, uh, she was like a mom and a dad at the uh-huh. same time. Yeah. And she's like my favorite people ever uh-huh. in the world. Yeah. And uh, she caught some, yeah, she's always been controversial. Uh-huh. But, yeah, that was, she's definitely one of. I, I saw every episode of her sitcom when it first yeah, came out. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. With John Goodman and the family, and it was, yeah. She, Goodman, uh, real, brilliant. Goodman's a great, he's oh, a great yeah. actor. He's very versatile. He he can really be a lot yeah. of different types of people. Or how about uh, cool. F- Frank Sinatra? I know Frank Sinatra is like everybody. I got, like I got some like, good. I got some good Sinatra stories. Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell, yeah. I saw him twice. Um, the only the only show that I saw that was any better was Jimi Hendrix. 
Sinatra was a mind blower, and he was like a really close second to that performance. Apples and Oranges, obviously, whole different genre, whole different generation. But uh, I saw him with some friends in um, uh, in Reno at the MGM Grand, and uh, it was during a period. This was in the '80s. It was during a period where he was having a comeback, and his and he was having a, a his voice was kind know, of reaching yeah. a new high from from a kind of a low period. Um, it was really probably the last time he was really at his peak. And um, my friend and I, I went, it was my wife and a friend of mine, his girlfriend, and, and the four of us flew up there for a long weekend. And, to and, Vegas? Uh, uh, Reno. Oh, Reno. And, and my friend at the time was, was making a lot of money. He, he, he had a really successful company. And um, so he gave 100 bucks to the maitre d' at the door, and we ended up with seats in the front row. It's a dinner show, so we were actually sitting there eating, and and um, so Sinatra was like right there. And the thing that blew my mind the most was that when he came out on stage, there were probably like two thousand people in the audience, and you could have heard a pin drop. Yeah. And it was like that through the whole show. And everything he did was like he was singing it for the very first time. It was so amazing. I mean, it was just like he put so much life in it, and. And I'm sitting there smoking a cigarette and drinking scotch and leaning against the piano and singing his butt off. And it was just really amazing. And we were actually sitting next to a couple of people who, at the time, we were in our 30s. And I guess these people next to us were probably as old as we are now. And we just, because they they said at intermission, we got to talking with them. They said they'd been to like 30 or 40 shows. And, and we just said, God, he's so amazing. Is, is he always this good? And they both looked at us and said, Always, yeah. he's always this good. It was, it was a, it was a mind, mind blower. And one of the things, I mean, I know he's a controversial figure and everything, but one of the things that I think a lot of people don't know is that after he passed away, it was discovered, he kept it a secret, but it was discovered that he gave a billion dollars away in his lifetime really? to, to help people who were, you know, like... Philanthropists. People who had gotten homeless. Um, you know, if he liked somebody, he'd buy them a car. You know, he, he never tipped smaller than a $100 bill. I mean, he was just like a super, super generous guy in spite of his other failings, you know, his anger and, and, and you know, his own personal s stuff that yeah. we all have. But I just think he was a really cool guy. That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, because I, like I, like I was late yeah. on all this stuff, like with Jimi Hendrix and Sinatra, like I took a break from, you know, just the hip hop. Yeah, and I wanted to get into all, you know, all the other genres that came mm -hmm. before hip hop. Yeah, and I remember uh, a good friend of mine, one of my other OGs, not as old as you guys, but he was telling me that Johnny Cash was on some gangster shit way before, you know, way oh, before yeah. all this shit. I was like, like what? You know, I could, I didn't. Well, believe he was it. in jail. Johnny yeah. Cash spent he did two hours in, in jail. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, are you serious? That like, like. Do you listen to Johnny Cash? Yeah, my favorite song uh, is "Man Man in Black." Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that yeah. that one was like that was some, that was some, that was some gangster shit. I never saw him. Did you see him? Never saw him. No, but I sure do listen to him a yeah, lot. Yeah, and, and it's like the older I get, the more I listen yeah, to him. It's yeah. like I I didn't appreciate him when I was younger. Neither did I. What's uh, the song that has that he wrote? Ring uh, of Fire. No, that no. The one of the lyrics is like a whirlwind in the thorn tree. You know the oh, one I'm talking yeah. about. When the man comes around. Yeah. yeah. Holy yeah, yeah. fuck, man! That song is just killer. Yeah. God, he wrote so many good songs. When the man comes around. Yeah. So he's telling me, yeah, he was rapping. He was rapping way before all this shit, you know. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, fuck. 
and I finally listened to him. I was like, shit. Like a boy named Sue. You know, the song was about yeah. his dad named Sue. And it so is kind of a rap. It is yeah, like a rap it, it is rap. Yeah. yeah, it is rapping. Well, it's interesting how all, all, all the music, I mean, I, my parents were, I was born really late in my parents' life. They were both in their 40s when I was born. So they were really from the generation that listened to all that big band stuff. Um, went, they went through the Depression and World War II and all that stuff. And I thought the big band music was really corny when I was younger. It was big band music. Oh, you know, like Glenn Miller or all, all that stuff. You you haven't, you know, like, uh, how, do you, how do you explain big band music? A lot of brass. Yeah, a lot of brass. It's, it's kind of the music that was, it, it's the music that was really popular in the 30s and the 40s. It's what everybody was listening to in the 30s and the 40s. And especially when, when you think of, of World War II, Glenn Miller was, was this incredible, um, was it clarinet player? Or... I think Glenn played clarinet. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm I, not sure. I, but he was basically a band leader, and he had the hottest band in the world of this kind of music. And he ended up getting killed in in World War II. They, plane crash. Plane, plane went down, and they lost the whole band, and everybody they they all died. But this music led to basically what became folk music and rock and roll, and all and all the stuff that that came in between. Um, that era and and the era of hip, of rap and hip hop and and you know it just keeps le- you know just everything just in music and and art and everything really just keeps evolving and 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 people you know borrow from what came before yeah and make it their own and tr- create something totally new and then somebody comes along after that and and takes it to a whole nother place yeah because I'm, so. I'm starting to see nothing is ever really original it's always inspired by something before well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I guess some some guy started hitting a a, a rock in a cave or something, and it's just everybody's yeah. been copying it ever since. Yeah, and I don't look at it as a negative thing. People say like, "Oh, it's not original." This that I'm like, "Yo, we got it from somebody else," you know, before that. Well, like, um, you know, I I've studied with some really great teachers uh, in music, and um, uh, one uh, Tchaikovsky, no Stravinsky said. Um, if you wanna, if if you can't steal, then you're not a composer. Huh. And if you're gonna steal, steal from the best. Huh. Yeah. And another like an, another another great composer, um, Aaron Copeland said, "There's nothing wrong with stealing. Just don't get caught." Yeah. You know, I like, they're not yeah, talk, see, they're not like talking that. about stealing from somebody, but they're stealing from from the past, stealing yeah. from what someone else has done. And it's like it happens all the time. And if you listen back to like the very early music, really the first western music was Gregorian chant, which started in the what, 1500s or 1400s, mm-hmm. something like that in in Europe in what was medieval Europe, and it was basically just monks chanting you know different songs written about god and um and that led to more and more complex (coughs) uh, musical arrangements of of western music which which was totally different than what was developing in other parts of the world like india and and i mean every country has their own total total music but western music which is basically connected to europe england america um it is is based on what started in the Gregorian chants and then eventually evolved into um, all these early early guys Bach Mozart you know all these guys Beethoven yeah. all these guys that came and, he, and each each one 
was borrowing from the past yeah. and, and, and moving it forward into into their time. And that's you know? why I don't understand, like, yeah, people say, yeah, like you're stealing, you know, you're stealing, but... They just don't, I, they, yeah, don't when, they don't get it. Yeah, when I was doing my <laughs> research, like, yeah, Led Zeppelin was, you know, infamous for that. Mm -hmm. I just found out, you know, they were... Basically, they tried to say they were stealing the songs, but, you know, they still made it sound good. And Jimi Hendrix, his 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 hero was uh, Bob Dylan, right? Yeah. Is this right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it goes full circle. Yeah, and I mean, look and look at how different uh, Hendrix's version of, of uh, Mr. Tambourine Man. Isn't that the one he did, Mr. Tambourine Man? Um, all Along the Watchtower. All Along the Watchtower. Sorry about that. Yeah, um, that, that version compared to Dylan's version, they're both completely great and they're both completely different. They don't they, even I mean, sound it's similar. The same, it's the same like song and you can recognize that it's yeah. the same song when you compare the two, but, but I mean, they're both completely different and, and equally amazing. The know? thing that I love is that no matter like age doesn't chronological age doesn't mean anything because you're only as young as you try to stay plugged in you obviously are staying plugged into what's happening now i am too like i walk into your shop you're playing a rap song i say what is that? oh yeah that you was tell, crazy yeah you tell me what <coughs> it, it's like damn that's and it's like great i can go home i post it on my facebook page like you know uh did you i gotta yeah, say that. yeah i never I try to keep an open mind, yeah. you know, and just like there's a lot of kids, kids, I'm sorry, a lot of kids, <laughs> a lot of guys your age that are half my age, uh, they are, re they rediscover and like, like, for example, the Noir City Film Festival yeah. that, that, runs, that, that runs for 10 days at the Castro Theater here, here in, uh, in San Francisco, you know, most of our audience is rel is probably I, the mean age is probably in the in the thirties. That's yeah. really cool. You know, it's Good, not like yeah. a bunch of old people going to the movies. That's it's great. like it's like young people rediscovering film, yeah. classic film yeah. heritage, yeah. Yeah. and jamming that theater and selling it out. You know, like fourteen hundred seats night after night after night because they want to go uh, to the Cathedral of Cinema and oh, experience really? uh, and experience films. As they were originally meant to be seen, and, and, and the same thing is, is like, with yeah. the same thing with music yeah. or art. Mm -hmm. I mean, we go to museums to see what's been done before to see yeah. the, this, the, you know, the heritage mm -hmm. of art. And it occurs to me also, you know, when you're doing like I walk into your shop, you're a, you're a social guy. You've got to be. I mean, it's like, uh, but but like to do what you do or what I do. We gotta be alone. Yeah, we're like solitary creatures. <laughs> it's like uh, you know, I I like go down to my cave. Yeah, me and too. <laughs> fire up the computer, and I'm doing my graphics or I'm writing or whatever, and I'm alone. Yeah, and it, mm -hmm. it, it's it's the, it's the way I'm wired. I, I just you know to to be to be creative, I've got to be by myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, I and anytime I've had a job. Where I've had to work with other people, it's always been problematic. Well, I, you know, love, I love playing music with people, but yeah. I, I couldn't possibly You're lucky work on a composition with yeah. somebody. I think I could probably collaborate pretty well with a filmmaker if I was doing a score. Oh, sure. I mean, I've done well, a couple of small things like that in the past. But yeah, when it comes to just my own really focused work, I I gotta. I mean, the best is thing is not, not only by myself, but to be at down there at two or three in the morning when there's yeah. not even a sound. You know, uh -huh. you know, you're not getting a phone call. Nobody's gonna bug you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I used to be an all nighter. I used to just stay up all night all the time. But now I'm trying to get more practical shit done. So I'm trying to do both. But yeah. 
but uh, so I it helps me to know that you know there's people like you doing the same thing I'm doing is like I have trouble sleeping because I just want to keep creating. Oh yeah, for sure. I go to bed at like my average time is probably four in the morning. Yeah, I'm up. And so I, that makes You get up early. I get up around ten thirty eleven. That's, yeah, that's yeah, pretty I, good. I, I yeah. average six hours of sleep a night. Well, yeah. my wife is a she she rises before the sun, so. Yeah. That well, that has had an influence on me, and I get up fairly early. It's hard, now. man, trying to live like two time tracks in the same yeah. house. I know, yeah, yeah. 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 But what I, I really appreciated when I was playing that song, I told you about Messy Marv. Shout out to Messy Marv. Messy uh, Marv. Yes. <laughs> Messy Marv. It's a yeah. great song. I got yeah, it's like, and it was damn. a sample. I don't know what the sample was, but, but man, I'm telling you, it's I like I. Uh, it's infectious. I couldn't yeah. get it out of my head. I loved it. Yeah, you know, and it so was a sample. The hook was from a sample, and he's he's like a Bay Area legend. He's cool, doing really bad I right now. I read up on him. Yeah, he's when on, I got yeah. home. It's he's, like, it, so I love I love that I can still be turned on by what's going on in the in, yeah. you know contemporary music. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'll never. I hope I'm never so old that I have a closed mind to yeah. you know, to not enjoy. That's why you're here. It doesn't sound like it. Well, you know? that's one of the things that. As you get older, I didn't notice it until I was in my 50s, but, um, you know, which I guess is getting older, but n- now that I'm in my 60s, it's, it's even more noticeable. But, but when, when you get to this point, it, 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 you have to make an effort to not be closed-minded because it's kind of part of getting older as you, as you see. My wife and I have been talking about this lately. It's like, it's like the cow palace is coming to an end. You know, you know, you know big money's going to win out and they're yeah. going to tear that damn thing down sooner or later. I mean, uh, you know, I, I had a friend who met the Beatles there. His yeah. dad managed the cow palace and the Beatles came and played and he got to hang out with them. And I mean, I've been to all these things there and stuff. Anyway, not to get sidetracked, but the point is that things change, and and things that used to be really cool end. You know, yeah. um, everything has a life, and things end eventually. You know, your favorite restaurant closes down. Um, somebody who you love moves out of the Bay Area or dies or something. I mean, it just things change, and if you're around long enough, you see more and more of this, and it's 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 hard. Yeah. You have to make an effort to not get pissed off about it you yeah. know or, or or mopey about it you know uh, you have to realize that just you know one door closes another one opens something dies and something else is, is born and you know there's always a, a, a flip side you know there's always a positive side to the negative side yeah. and you just have to keep remembering that and and um and not let stuff really bug you, you how know? how was it like when you know during that time how was you guys when uh jfk Died, and oh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. I remember that. Martin Kennedy, like, like from from my research, it felt like that was like the last blow. It just nothing that was, was the same after that. Yeah, that was really tough. That was a major turning point, and everybody from our generation remembers exactly where they were. I was home. I yeah. was home sick, you know, so I wasn't around a lot of people when JFK got got shot. But I mean, the country shut down for yeah. a week. Yeah, it's all that was on television. All the uh, we the, the three major networks. Uh, it was it, you know, black it, and white. It was such a big deal. They called it, I was at school, I was in seventh grade, something like that, mm-hmm. and they called us out to the um, playground. They, they called all the rooms out to the play, all the homerooms out to the <laughs> playground. It was a pretty big school, I guess, for maybe a thousand, fifteen hundred 1,500 students, something like that, and the principal got up and gave, you know, gave a loud talk just by raising his voice, I guess. I don't think he had a megaphone, but you know, he basically announced to everybody what had happened, yeah. and that was the end of school for the rest of the week, I think. Because from what I know, yeah, like JFK, I would consider one of my favorite presidents. And I wasn't around during that time, but... He know, was really cool. Yeah. yeah. 
he was witty. He was educated. Yeah. yeah. War hero. Yeah, and he's a war hero. Yeah. Like, and that was yeah important to me. Like, if you're going to be a commander in chief, you know, you'd have more, like, you'd have more. Uh, how do you, what's the word? You know, if you're going to send people to war, like, it'd be better if you know our president would have that experience. He had the mm-hmm. experience with the PT one hundred and nine. Yeah. And saving. Saving guys, but he also was was literate. He read books. He wrote books, <laughs> like Obama, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, yeah. And but, but his, his wife, wit, the his way wife he, was so elegant. Yeah. The way yeah. that he he worked with the press. His press conferences were just stellar. Yeah. I think of some yeah. of them are still available up on YouTube. You can see the wit, the rapport yeah. that he had with the, with the reporters as they'd ask questions. Yeah. And joust with them and have fun. Yeah. He was yeah. an intellectual. Yeah. And. Uh, and a rake. I mean, he liked the women, so <laughs> he was. He had, you know, the White House was set up so that he could have his uh, his women on the side too. So, but that was all kept out of the newspapers back then. Yeah. Nowadays, you know, anything anybody it doesn't does doesn't matter anymore. That's, this is why I can come in here. I can talk to you about. Yeah, you know, I almost like off myself because it's like everything is out. Everybody yeah, I, yeah, I, I talk about almost nowadays. getting busted in Big Sur. It's you like, know? Yeah. who cares? Because, you know? because it's just a story and it's not, it's not who I am now, you know, and I'm, and I'm not, uh, I'm not ashamed of it. And if anything, I, uh, I tell it as, uh, I share it as a cautionary tale. Yeah, that's, it, that's exactly how because, I look at it. With because both it, had I done that, had I done myself in, I wouldn't have had a chance to create uh, you wouldn't be sitting here right now. I, I wouldn't talking you, to us. You wouldn't be, you know, cutting my hair yeah. and trimming my beard. Yeah, and uh, I wouldn't have met Lauren tonight. <laughs> yeah. You know, I like being around. Yeah, I want, oh, yeah, and, me too. And, and it's it's occurred to me I better start taking better care of myself too. You know, like I've dropped about twenty five pounds. This, oh, you told this me about that. You've been walking months. around a lot. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walking. And, you know, I want to. I want to be like you. I mean, you're <laughs> well, looking pretty good there. <laughs> well, I, uh, I. I just. I'm. I got a good constitution. I'm lucky with the constitution. I eat like a horse. And oh, I do you? Have and, yeah. I can't do that. But yeah. then I also I burn a lot. I mean, I, yeah. I I do a lot. I run around a lot. I move a lot of stuff around. You know, I, being a musician, I got. You know, sometimes I've got a whole van full of equipment that I move b- all by myself. You know, and uh, I'm getting a little old for it, but I keep doing it. Yeah. So this is kind of a vague question, but I'm curious to see how you guys perceive where we're at now as a society or the world. Oh, like, Jesus. We could talk for hours about yeah, cause, that. Yeah, uh, because I was just looking at Venezuela. is going down right oh, now. Man. There's still a war. And it's like I, 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 I'm still not sure what the hell is going on. You know, there's trying to over, you know, there's a coup going on. And like, yeah. Is that yeah. really what's happening? Or like, yeah, where do you, from your guys' perspective, like where, like where do you guys see us now? Or where is our future headed? If you have an opinion on it, because... That's a whole other show. <laughs> yeah, I know. You don't, I mean, seriously, <laughs> really that's is, so, it's so really loaded is. because uh, we're living in, a, in, a, in an information age and uh, we're... All information is available, whether it's true or not. Yeah, we've seen the rise of uh, false information uh, being made to presented as if it's fact when it's not fact; it's fiction. Uh, and people where, where lies and, are presented as and truth. vice versa. Mm-hmm. Where there's, I see a loss of curiosity among people. Uh, I've seen a. Uh, I, I'm concerned by the fact that people aren't reading, and informing themselves. They just uh, look at you know uh, at their phone or they there's there's no they're not taking a deep dive i, I grew up in a generation we did where we actually read newspapers yeah. uh 
we had not just opinions, but we had informed opinions. You know, the, the opinions that were backed up by having read books or essays or articles, you know. Yeah. And so that's, uh, so I, I see the biggest problem now is one of lack of education, of people not, mm-hmm. not of lacking curiosity. But, uh, you know, that with all the shitstorm that's going on politically right now, I'm very hopeful still. Because I think that the con- the the media tends to concentrate on all the negativity Always. And, and not and not all the good work that's being done by people. I think there's a lot of good being done. I think we're going to be okay. I'm very optimistic. Yeah, about I'm it. optimistic too. I mean, as depressing as it gets, and as much of a low as we're at in the whole world right now, I in in my lifetime I keep seeing the pendulum swing one way and the other. You know, I mean, we had. Uh, when I was growing up, we had Eisenhower, who who seemed like a pretty good president. He's very conservative, but he but I think he was pretty good for the country. Um, and then uh, you know we had then we kind of went through some ups and downs. We had Carter, who was pretty good. Ford was kind of n- n- nothing. Um, Reagan was really bad for the country. Um, ever since Reagan, we haven't had you know he closed down all the mental institutions, so all those people have been out on the street ever since then. He started that, the whole trickle down economics. That's become policy. that's become a real problem <laughs> so through the whole country. You know, give but, tax breaks but, to the wealthy. And but but you know, and then and then you know we have then we have two two whole generations of of, of um, bushes. And it just when things just seem like they couldn't get any worse, we get Obama. You know, so it's like how do you guys how do you guys feel about Obama? Oh, I love him. I love him. Love him. Still love him? Oh hell yeah! yeah. Sure, he's I, fine. I feel like I was like, I feel like I was bamboozled. Like you know, they just put a, you know, they just put they just they just put a colored guy here, a black dude over here. So no, he was g- he was good. He just he his one of his big problems was that all the stuff, the good stuff that he wanted to do, they fought him every inch of the way. Yeah. So it was really hard for him to accomplish uh, the stuff that he really wanted to accomplish. You in know, the two weeks, t- two years into his presidency, the House of Representatives and the Senate turned Republican, so he couldn't get anything done. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's the problem that Trump's going to have. He'll, he'll, Trump won't accomplish anything now because of the House of Representatives being Democratic. How do you feel about... Thank God. How do you feel about... How do you guys feel about Trump? Worst president gotta, in the history of the country. He's an abomination. He, really? Yeah. Terrible. So, Terrible. okay, we're cool right now, right? I mean, I, I've, but, I've read... But I, I love you anyway. Yeah, but I... <laughs> I, I I've, read, I've read a lot of history, and I... And I, I he's I, an aberration. I, I basically... I, I, I think from from everything I've read, he makes the worst president that we've ever had in, in the history of... And I can't I can't name the names because I'm bad at remembering he'll be, names. He'll be remembered as the worst president. Yeah, I history, think so. Yeah. 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 You think so? No, no doubt about it. So maybe I'm misinformed, but oh, he's I don't terrible. know. I... He's into hate. I still, su- he, I, I, I don't know. I, su- I support him. I well, do. he's I in, think he's. I can respect that, but basically, I think the guy's into hate, and hate is it never wins. Hate always loses. You know, I mean, it's kind of. Uh, I don't think he's into hate. I think he's into himself. Well, yeah. he doesn't care about the American yeah, people. He just yeah, cares he's, about his own. Yeah, ass. he's not even passionate about that. But I'm just. And he doesn't. He's, he's just. He's ill-informed he doesn't read he doesn't get the daily briefings this is a whole other show yeah okay. it really is a whole other show <laughs> but it's like it's we're not we're never going to be on the same page yeah. but i would encourage anybody that loves trump read just yeah. read inform yeah. yourself yeah and yeah, and, and turn off and, and check out uh uh turn off fox news and read yeah, you know. there's not enough information out there, but I mean, I've done my research on his history with his father and how they got here, and like I read both of his books, uh, Think Big and then uh, those books Art were of the written deal. by Trump. They're ghost written. 
He did, yeah. The guy that actually wrote the art of the deal. Really? He's on he's on CNN and MB, he's like come out totally against Trump. Really? The guy that the guy that like uh, authored the Trump book. But uh, but I think his advice is the best read. I mean, the more yeah. you can get out there, and there's certain publications like my wife reads the Washington Post. She gets it online, and and I mean I I I got my own stuff going, so I don't follow politics a whole lot. I mean I I I'm, I stay fair I stay fairly well informed, but not like my wife, and and I mean. The Washington Post is—they're—they're they're the ones that broke the Watergate. They—they are really—I know we're in a period where the—the—the the, the regular press in in this country is is totally under under yeah. suspicion. But if you go back through history and you look at the 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 the, um, the press in America, they've always strove to tell the truth, to report it like it really is, especially certain certain newspapers. Washington Post is one of them. The and it doesn't Times. even... You know, I subscribe New, to the New York Post Times. and I subscribe to the New York Times. Yeah, and, and it's like there there's certain places that are still so uh, widely respected and, and uh, run in an ethical way that... And you can still check to make sure that it's true by checking other sources yeah. but you know there's definitely sources out there like the post like the times where if you're going to read something in there it's not going to be bullshit it's going to be it might be skewed one way or another the guy whoever's writing it might you know might try to to impress their opinion on you or or yeah. or, or use the facts that he has to kind of try to convince you of something, but it's not going to be a bunch of bullshit. At least yeah. it's, 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 it's going to be something. And it's usually stated it's on the opinion page as, yeah. as, as opposed to just being regular straight news. Yeah. Now, I also recommend uh, MSNBC every day, uh, locally at 1 o'clock. Uh, I watch Dateline White House, which has uh, Nicole Wallace. And Nicole Wallace uh, worked in the, in the George uh, Bush White House for eight years. Uh, she's a Republican who has turned away from the Republican Party since Trump has come into office. She's connected to everybody yeah. uh, uh, who was once upon a time Republican. And yeah. uh, so she has access to like in all, all the top people in the media and uh, has great guests. And Bill Maher, and, and, and Bill Maher like, is also pretty damn good for yeah, information, Bill Maher, too. You know, did you hear I mean, Bill? He, he can uh, well. Just let me say one thing. He can he can tend to get completely over the top. But the point I was trying to make was that he he gets a lot of people on his show who are Republicans, and and um, you know he gets a lot of really interesting opinions on on his show. He said know. some harsh words about Stan Lee when he died. Did you guys yeah look look that up? What do you it say? It was pretty. It was pretty bad. Yeah. It was like, dude, it's just like. You just, you yeah, Mar Mar is not a comic book fan. Yeah. He's not a fan of the comic book fan fanboy. Yeah. You know, he lumps them all together. He thinks the comic books are for kids. He doesn't realize that most of the comics being written today are for grown-ups. Yeah, people yeah. that are literate. Mm -hmm. You know, but his words were pretty harsh for Stanley. Like, uh, if you look, Bill Mark can be an asshole. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. He's an yeah. asshole. But, yeah. You know, not 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 every opinion he has. Yeah. Or, but that was a deal breaker for me when he died. Like, you're gonna say that right now? You know? Yeah. Oh, but I tuned in next week. I, yeah. I, I, I love Bill Mark. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I love him the, the documentary uh, Religious. Like, I like you know. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah, and he's great. Are you guys? Uh, he always you makes guys, me laugh. Are you guys religious? Uh, I'm spiritual. Yeah, I'm an atheist. Atheist. I'm an atheist. Yeah, but I'm. I still consider myself to be a spiritual guy. Mm -hmm. Call me conflicted. Well, athe atheism is is a spiritual 
path. But I, I, <laughs> uh, I, I guess my uh, higher power would be uh, nature. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're not an atheist. Yeah. Yeah. And science. Yeah, you believe in something. Yeah. That's, no, I, I, I believe in science. Yeah. I think science and religion are connected somehow. Like. That's an, that's another show again. That's a whole other show. You yeah. keep bringing this shit up at the <laughs> end, yeah, like, but what do we feel about Trump? What do we feel yeah, about really, religion? Oh, answer it in it's three, like, quite three. You got three another three hours. Three words or less. <laughs> but we're yeah, I mean, yeah, we're do, we're doing good right now. Shit, is it, that's why I was I was nervous. It's been a while, but I'm like, this is gonna be a good one because well, yeah, you always got something to say, and it's like, this is why you guys are here. Like, well, I was born, I was raised um, in, in a not very religious family, um, but I was taught to believe in God. Um, and uh, my dad was Protestant, my mom was Jewish, um, and so they neither one of them cared that much. They said, you want to go to Sunday school? I said, well, is there art? And they go, yeah, the Jewish Sunday school has some pretty good art classes. So I went two or three summers, I think, for a few weeks and um, learned a little bit about about the Jewish religion, but, but you know, it didn't do anything for me. I, I didn't feel any pull to it any more than I did. Uh, my dad's you know more yeah. more but i had my own experience um i started reading about um uh, other philosophies um when um when i was a teenager especially when i became a hippie in the early hippie period mid you know mid to late 60s so you guys were hippies you think oh absolutely roaring yeah hands Tight. down unapologetic <laughs> you can't have hair down yeah. your waist I mean, in the on. 1960s and not be a yeah. hippie my I parents kicked me out of the house. It's like, get a haircut. You yeah. know? Jesus <laughs> my mom kept going, when are you going to cut that god-awful long hair? Oh, but, and I dressed like in bell-bottoms with just, it was like ridiculous with but, the rainbow shit. I mean, wearing rainbow shit back then was different. It didn't have the same connotation no, it does no, today. It, it wasn't, didn't have the gay connotation. But, but, but the, um, I, the thing about spirituality, uh, Eastern religions and philosophy and all that stuff started getting really big during that period of time mm -hmm. and um, so I got into my wife was she started studying Zen when she was 13 she was like way ahead of me but but by the time I was like you know late teens I was starting to to get more interested in Buddhism and and, and alternative religions you read Siddhartha and, um, pardon me you read Siddhartha oh two or three Everybody times we were all reading Siddhartha yeah. back then yeah. and that's yeah. a cool book it's about the it's about the the life of, of Buddha oh. um, Siddhartha was a, a, a rich Man's, uh, he was a prince, and um, and he denounced everything so that he could go out and find mm -hmm. spirituality. Find I fuck with Buddha. He's, he seems like the most understandable. I don't know, you know, all of them. He's, he's like, pretty, yo, believe yeah. whatever you believe in. Pretty understandable. Yeah, everybody's exactly. suffering, but it's yeah. cool, like you know. But then you know, you got the other shit. They're like, yo. It's a great book, and it's not a it's not a thick book either. It's no, it's a hundred pages. It's like it's like. Yeah, really, really great. Um, but uh, anyway, I I was fortunate enough to meet some really amazing holy men. I I met a I met an incredible um, Christian who had actually become more of a he was more he become more interested in Eastern religion, but he almost became had become a Franciscan monk. He's also an opera singer and an incredible joke teller. But he taught me a lot about meditation and everything because he had studied with Yogananda, who was a big deal back in the 40s and the 50s. This, this was an older man. He lived to be, my friend, lived to be 98 and was still like as active as the rest of us. But um, one thing led to the next, and I ended up meeting some really high lamas, and um, my wife and I have had some really pretty amazing experiences with um, with guys who are kind of right up at the top there in their 
in their religion, like the the one guy that we were really close to um, from India, there's post-it stamps of the guys, the guy, you know, I mean, he's like millions of followers and, and his whole advice. And by the way, he was, he was big on atheists. He loved atheists and he, he loved Satanists because he got to talk at a Satan convention. Everywhere he, this man would speak, he would get people just like, he, they'd become his followers no matter who they were. And he was always saying, you know, it's all the same. Re religion, I feel like it's, it's all these different paths all going to the same place. And, and he, he was the head of the Parliament of Religions in the 80s, which took place in Chicago. And he was the head of like everybody. I mean, the Dalai Lama showed up and I mean, everybody but the Pope was there. Yeah. And this guy was the head of it. And he and all these other guys got together, the head of the Jewish religion, the head of the, the Catholic religion, everybody who represented their religions, they all got together and they all completely agreed. There, there's no one way. Even yeah. the Catholics were no say, saying that. You know, there's no one path. Yeah. There's all these different paths and they all lead to God, you know. And um, so that that was my experience, and and just from my own practice and in my own reading, I've become you know a, well I, I've had a lot of experiences in my life that that are just so absolutely outrageous that they can't be explained off as coincidence. Yeah. And so that has led me to believe that there's definitely some kind of higher power out there. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Some people like to call it dog, <laughs> yeah. which is God backwards, mm -hmm. but you know whatever. I mean, some, some people have a really hard time believing in that, but you could just kind of come down to it being as simple as believing in nature, like you say, you know, because, yeah. I mean, nature I definitely is, believe, yeah. is pretty damn mind-blowing. Because you know? my, my closest experience is, to, yeah, whatever God is, was, yeah, every time I took psychedelics, or mushrooms, oh, to yeah. acid, yeah. to ayahuasca, I told you guys about the ayahuasca, yeah, yeah. like... That's fantastic. Yeah, you know, I, I love the fact that you did that, and you, you are, are considering doing it again? Uh, I mean, dude, it was terrifying. But oh, of like course it, it is. you know, say if you guys were it's interested the most in doing it, thing you'll ever like, I'll do it. Just you know, if you needed to actually push, I would go with you. Just like I'll go with anybody. <laughs> oh, like man. I never did it. I was like, fuck it, I'll go with you guys. It's you know a, I think it's one of the only drugs I haven't done. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when you've done psychedelics, and and they were the it was it the, most doors. the most terrifying experience of my life was you know happened under the influence of psychedelics really? but also the most ecstatic yeah and yeah. extraordinary and it's like leaving the body consciousness yeah, yeah. and oh, yeah. connecting with whatever is out there the feeling of connection was so extraordinary unforgettable i would not trade it for any other experience yeah. no, that i've no. ever had but i have zero desire to ever do it <laughs> no exactly because i don't want to go pass yeah. through the terrifying territory the nightmare territory to land on the other side i, I didn't find it so much a nightmare but it just it was uncomfortable uh, you know At times. coming up sometimes i liked coming up sometimes i didn't I always like coming down. I don't know why, but coming off a of psychedelic is always down, really fun. Yeah, it's like the experience of uh, the, just the feeling of, uh, I'll never forget, like being in church almost, like a cathedral, yeah. like you're the rising up, yeah. popping out the top of my head. And, you know, it's, and just, it's like you're getting you back. Can't, there, words cannot convey no, no. the feeling that you get, the feeling of, of extraordinary connection with the universe. Yeah. And uh, But, yeah, I will never submit 
to the possibility of the extreme paranoia uh-huh. that I experienced under under those drugs. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, I, I never need to do it again. Yeah. I will take a walk, you know, I can take that. over you, the yeah, botanical yeah. Bar- gardens, you know, yeah. I, I'm fine. Yeah, you, know? you can yeah. lead that up to, yeah, I'll, I'll, can lead that up to I'll me. I'll drink some crystal geyser and just, you know, I'm fine. Yeah, but yeah. did it not help with your guys' creativity? Like, did it not yes. open up doors to your not, mind? Yes. Make your music. Yeah, that much more kid. Make it writing that much better. Wouldn't trade it for anything. No, I wouldn't. I, I, I don't necessarily. I can't necessarily say that that my music wouldn't or my creativity wouldn't has have been as good. It would definitely would have gone it's in different. a different direction. Yeah. But um, but I, I don't regret any of it. I mean, I, I and I did I did some hard drugs too for a long time. And yeah. I mean, not a long time, but long enough. I mean, most of the people that did what I did are dead. Yeah. I'm just really lucky because I yeah, have a strong I have a strong constitution. Yeah. A lot and, of rock stars and plus, I took good while I was doing all that bad stuff. I was taking good care of myself. I've always yeah. eaten well. I've always taken. I mean, ever since I was like. Well, it was started with hippie time, vitamins, you know. So it's like uh, all us old guys who went through all that. Most of us who are still around uh, take take some supplements and stuff, yeah. you know. On top, a lot of, of rock stars of eating, I seen were into heroin. I was never interested in that, but uh, oh, I, you know, I did. It, I did it a few. Every time I did it, I just got sick. Yeah, it's like I saw it. Yeah, I'm sitting there barfing a great meal, thinking, "What's the fun of this?" You know. Yeah. And I mean, I understand it completely. Um, I have a daughter who who was a heroin addict, for really needle heroin addict, hardcore for many many years. I got together with a buddy of mine yesterday who's a heroin addict. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah so I mean, I, I, scary, I, under, yeah, I understand it, but it, man, it's such. It's just to me, it's so. I, I mean, hey, snort snorting it is bad enough, but actually shooting it up, it just to me, it's just like putting a gun to your head or something. It just yeah. like seems so anti-life. It's just so sad i yeah. mean i feel i feel so so bad for people who 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 get stuck in that you know go down that that tunnel you know because it's, it's really, really insidious yeah it really is you know, it's so those, hard to to get out of it but there's people out there that would say the same thing about psychedelics which oh know, sure yeah i think it could be used as a medicine which it should be yeah like lsd mushrooms like well like i went, I went to go see alex gray and his wife oh, I, here yeah in town. And uh, he's a Facebook friend of mine. I've met really? him. I've talked with him. He's from uh, yeah, Ohio. Yeah, I was very dope. Yeah. He's from Ohio. You know, yeah. so I love his artwork. Uh, I mean, I've seen, uh, the, you know, what he paints. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, that's what you see you when you're on that Yeah, stuff. you can't do You can't come out with that artwork and not have done any I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's where it came <laughs> from. That's, yeah, it's like the that, peyote. That, yeah. That's the yeah. experience, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. But uh, at this point in my life, being 69 years old, and uh, coming up next, well, this Sunday I'll be 24 years without getting high. Wow! And when, and when you yeah. love I'll getting be like high, you one day. my favorite thing on the face of the planet Earth is getting high, and I love it so much that's why I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because I so have they, an yeah, on switch for, yeah, and no off switch. Yeah, I mean I need to. Uh, when I start, I I, will, I just don't want to stop. Mm. So uh, at this point in my life, I really love being straight. Yeah, uh, a big part of my life is Alcoholics Anonymous. I do at least two or three meetings a week. Really, I, sp- I sponsor guys, and uh, like the guy I met with yesterday, you know, mm-hmm. the heroin addict. Uh, you know, inc- you know, I, I sponsor guys, try to get them to come to meetings. Um, uh, a lot of people make it. I have a lot of great, fantastic friends in the program. Uh, I have a lot of wonderful friends talented people who died because they just were not able mm-hmm. to stop yeah, yeah. Me too. so I, I understand addiction as an addict in recovery myself and uh, 
you know, it's uh, I wouldn't trade any of my experiences getting high for anything. But yeah. I really appreciate at this stage of my life uh, wanting to still put good work into the world. Yeah, uh, I need to be straight. I can't be high and do it. You know, and there's a lot of people, creative people that we love, that we've grown up loving and respecting, that have left it, that have had to like leave it behind, close yeah. the door on that, in order mm. to still be productive and creative. Yeah, that's why I look at you guys like mm. it's 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 inspiring. You tell me like I want to get to that point one day. You know, I still got a lot to go. Yeah, well, you got yeah. time. Enjoy yeah. it while you can. Yeah, yeah. just don't overdo <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. but don't I mean, you guys just overdid it. So I don't want to go to your fucking get my memorial. Turn. Yeah, so. <laughs> So we gotta we gotta wrap overdo this up. Overdo it. Go ahead and overdo we, it. We, we gotta we gotta wrap this up. But um, I know I have an idea. Of, like I I had this idea for I was watching. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Candace Owens. She was uh she was interviewing Roseanne, mm. and to end the show, uh, I got I was inspired by I wanted to use this into my podcast. Um, if you had one minute, if you had the world's attention for one minute. What would you say to them? And look into the camera. You could go first. One minute, you, you got the whole world's attention. Everybody's my, all eyes on you. My, you look into uh, the camera. My philosophy at this point is, I can sum it up in five words. Go where the love is. I spent the bulk of my life pursuing people that rejected me and uh, avoiding people that loved me. And uh, it took a long time to actually just go where the love is. And that's like 30 seconds. I don't need a minute. Well, okay. I, I don't need a minute either. Um, pretty much the same. Love is the answer. Uh, hate, anything negative, it, it, it's just destructive. It, it doesn't, it, it never works. Love is really the key to the whole thing. It's the most important thing in life. There we go. We're from the Triple OGs. Uh, thank you guys for coming. Hey, thank you. Bill Selby, Lauren Jones, Out of Pocket Live. It's a wrap. I'm sure we could have you guys back on. I really appreciate it. Look forward it. to it. Yeah. yeah. But um, one more thing. Uh, what's your shit? What's our shit? Yeah. What's your shit? Uh, give me a song to end the show. What's my shit? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> What are you talking about? It's like Give me you're song. speaking English, but yeah. it's a foreign language. <laughs> like if you want to have one song to share, share, share to our listeners to end the show. Uh, I, I like Missy Marv. <laughs> <laughs> Missy Marv. Yeah. So yeah. I was loving we'll take that. Dogs. Missy Marv. I, I so wasn't. I mean, you know. Come on. He's like, 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 like holding dash. Yeah. I mean, it's like a few years Yeah, Missy Marv and Lauren. Oh man, there's a million of them. There's a million songs. One song. This is important. Like, I want to hear what's what's on one song that I got to hear. I might have not heard it. Oh, one song you haven't heard? Yeah. Oh, uh, Pavan by Gabriel Fauré. Pavan. Pavan. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. There we it's go. beautiful. Okay, can I change my mind? Yeah. Okay. Ahead. Johnny Cash, When the Man Comes All Around. All right. There you go. <laughs> All right. Johnny go. Cash, When the Man Comes Around. There we go. Take notes, fellas. Ladies, gentlemen, we out. Out of fucking life. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. It's a wrap. There's a man going around taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame.